as uh, they are heading out, uh, again, just on, on behalf of Faith and, and my family, for those of you who were able to come out and celebrate our Sweet 16 Friday, thank you all so much. Uh, y'all clean up nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, some of y'all scared me. I mean, woo! Uh, I, if, if you folks that weren't able to be there, if you, if you can get your hands on some pictures, they may be worth money. I don't, I don't know, I'm just saying. Um, definitely you could probably blackmail. No, don't do that. But uh, it was a fun night, and thank you all again for your love, your support. Uh, it was just a fun night. And so for those of you who were, who were able to be there, thank you for sharing that special special night with us. And so uh, uh, now pray for mom and daddy because uh, uh, I think we've held her off from driver's ed as long as we can. So uh, <laughs> guys, take your Bibles this morning. We are going to go ahead and dive back into Colossians. Uh, if you need a Bible, there should be a Bible there in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you want to grab one of those, uh, those burgundy red uh, Bibles uh, and turn to Colossians. If you don't know where Colossians is, it's in the New Testament. And one of my favorite sayings is what? Go eat popcorn. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And so we'll get to Colossians. And uh, sorry, no popcorn. But I'm sure Mr. MB tonight at 10 o'clock will be having his batch, so we'll all go to his house. But anyway, maybe not that late. Um, so, Colossians, we are, again, it's been a while since we've been in Colossians, so let's sort of do a quick overview. You know, Paul's in prison at Rome, and that's when he writes this. He also writes Ephesians, and he also writes Philemon. Now, Philemon is a man who is in the church at Colossae, and he's writing Philemon specifically, the guy, Philemon, because uh, Paul, under the providence of God has met his runaway slave, Onesimus. And so he meets him in Rome, he leads him to Christ, and then he says, look, I want you to return to Colossae. But when you go, I want you to take this letter. And so therefore Philemon, um, who was, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, yes, was Onesimus' owner, master, he takes this, take this back to him, because look, you're a brother. You're not to be treated as a slave, you're to be treated as a brother. In Christ. And so that's important that he understand that. So he sends that back with him. He's also writing to Colossae because there's some problems going on in the church. There's some things that are starting to stir in the community. And you got to realize the community was a very pagan community. They had a lot of uh, um, just sinful practices in that Roman civilization, that pagan practice that was going on. I mean, things such as prostitute uh, worship, temple worship uh, through prostitution. I mean, there was just a lot of uh, paganism that was also going on. And so Paul's dealing with all kinds of things. He's dealing, when he's writing to this church, he knows the thread of, of asceticism, which is sort of beat your body into submission, and that's how you're somehow going to be right with God. He says, no, that's not it. He's dealing with Judaism, which again, there's a branch of it that's saying, hey, that's fine. You, you want to you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you still need to keep the Mosaic laws. You still need to be circumcised and you still need to do these works. And he says, no, that's not it at all. Mysticism was creeping into the church as well. So all of this angel worship and just sort of mystical things. And Paul said, no, you don't need any of that, guys. You don't need none of that. You just need to have Christ, period. Faith in Christ alone. It's not about works. It's not about doing better. It's not about cleaning up your act. 
It's not about your anything. It's about what's been done for you through the person of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, look, let Christ have preeminence in your life. You want to know how to live a life pleasing to God? Just let Him reign. Let Him have first place in your life. Let Him be your number one purpose. Let Him be your number one priority. Faith in Christ alone. He paid it in full at the cross of Calvary. We're all sinners. We've all broken the law. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if we got what we deserve, we deserve death. We deserve eternal separation from God and all His goodness. But God didn't give you what you deserve. Grace is God not giving us what we deserve. God gave us grace. He gave us the love of His Son and He extends an offer to whosoever will. Let Him come to Him because there's only one way. There's only one way, guys. And it's through the person of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's the gospel that Paul's still extending to the people. He wants to say, I, I need to clear the air. There's some confusion going on amongst you church folk. And you just need to know Christ is enough. The work of Jesus Christ has paid it in full. His death, his burial, and his resurrection has secured us. And so he wants them to know that. And so he's writing this letter to them. He's dealt pretty heavy on some of the doctrinal things and the doctrinal differences thus far. And then we get to chapter 3, and it's sort of kind of seen as a practical. Um, okay, now let me, now, now that you know Christ is to have preeminence in your life, let me tell you how that is lived out. And it's important as we read this that we understand because he's just dealt with legalism. Legalism is saying, okay, do this, do this, and do this, and you'll be accepted in God's sight. And we have a problem in a lot of our churches, especially our conservative churches, that if we're not careful, we kind of lean to that side. That if I just do better, if I just attempt a little harder in my own strength, that somehow God will say, oh, you're being a good boy, or you're being a good girl. We'll give you a check this week. And that's not Christianity. But we get it in our minds sometimes that if I dress a certain way, if I don't listen to a certain style of music, if I don't do certain things, or, if I, or maybe it's about, I do observe this. Or, or I, and he says, look, it's not about your righteousness. It's about the righteousness of Christ that's been given to you. The only thing that you and I bring to the cross is our sin. That's the only thing we can give God, is our sin. But in the exchanged life, I'm willing to give him my sin, lay down my sin, and by faith receive his righteousness. To my account. It's like a bank. You know, think about it like this. You got nothing in your bank, man. I, I'm at zero dollar. And God says, I'm going to give you an open, endless credit line. Though God doesn't operate on credit. It's cash only when it comes to the king. Because cash is king, according to Dave Ramsey. And so, he says, I'm going to extend to you, though, an endless supply. So, zero bank account or... I'm in the negative would probably be more theologically accurate. I'm in the negative. I owe, I owe a lot. And I can exchange that for endless riches. Now, that's not why we do it. But guys, you've got to understand the, the parallel. My sin debt is so much, I could never repay it. Because my offenses are against an eternal being. I'm finite, right? He's infinite. My crime is against an infinite being. 
So therefore, the punishment must be infinite. That's why it's eternal separation from God. That's why it's eternal damnation for those who do not put their faith and trust in Christ because they've offended an eternal being. And so the crime, the, the, the bill uh, uh, of the crime must be fitting. But God says, that's why I offer you my grace. Paid in full. Credit to your account. So the exchange life is me giving Christ my sin and by faith receiving His righteousness credited to my account. So when I stand before Him one day, when you stand before Him one day, if you've repented of your sin and believed in Christ, you stand forgiven. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. So that when He looks upon you, He sees His Son and His righteousness. And that's important to understand. Paul's wanting these people to get back to that, get back to that understanding. But now we turn to chapter 3. And so let's just read the full context. We've already talked about the first four verses here. We'll pick up our study today in verse 5. But before I, I read, you know, Friday night was a costume party, right? I mean, several of you dressed up. Now, some of you just wore your normal wardrobe and you still fit in. And that's all right. <laughs> but I, I want you to know that this year we started off our Word of Life clubs. And uh, let's see if I can, if I can do this. Play, play the part here. I got a little costume here. And by the way, Miss Angela Piner did a phenomenal job, not only on her costume the other night, but on these costumes at, for our uh, Word of Life clubs. She's part of the theme team. But I, I want to kind of get in character as we, as, we, as we do this next part, because one of the things we're going to talk about today, we talked about in the beginning of the club year, kids, all my little kids, you may remember this. We want to be sin zappers. We want to zap some sin, right? We want to zap some sin. And so this morning, Paul's going to help us know how to zap some sin. And so I thought, we well, you know, hey, this is fitting. I'm going to use the same PowerPoint slide that we use for the kiddos back at the start of the club year. Infested, kill, sin, dead. That's the title today. And so I want us to think about this as we go through it, that, guys, truth be told, our world is infested. And I know, listen, I, the other day I was up in my attic trying to find some, some 80s stuff, and uh, I noticed a giant roach. I think I could have rode that thing out of there. <laughs> it's huge. Y'all know the kind I'm talking about, man. Make even us men go, ooh, <laughs> for a second. <laughs> but I wonder how many of our houses, follow me now, are sin infested. And Paul wants to address this, and one of the analogies he's going to give us is just what I'm doing right here. I'm taking off that garment of sin that's infested, and I'm laying it aside. And Paul's encouraging us to instead put on Christ's garment. We need to realize who we are in Christ and be enrobed in His righteousness. And so he's going to illustrate that here in our text today. Let's, let's look at this, let's read through this, and, and we'll talk about it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then... Oh, by the way, I know you're... I do. It's like, oh, it's um, my apologies, we're going to be all over the map because I study part of the week in one translation, NASB. Then I did some in New King James, and then I forgot my Bible, and so today I'm in the ESV. <laughs> so, hey, we're all over the map today, but it's all right. You'll still follow along. 
So up on the board, you'll see NASB. Let's just read from there. Therefore, sorry, we'll go one and then we'll go five. If then you were raised with Christ, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, therefore is an important transition, therefore, consider the members, your earthly body, as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, unless it's the cowboy uh, get-together. The men know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I'm going to let you off the hook there, Josh. <laughs> we're having a tall tale uh, Saturday coming up in April, which we're allowed to tell a, fiction, uh, uh, a non-fiction, right? Fiction? What is it? Fiction. Thank you, all my literary students. Yes, we're allowed to do fiction. Anyway, do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Father, I pray for the preaching of your word this morning. I pray for our hearts to be still and know that you are God. Lord, open our minds to understand, to hear the truth, receive the truth. And then, Lord, by your grace and your power, may we respond to that truth. Transform us from within. Change us. Renew us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, the mark of a regenerate heart is a changed life. The mark of a regenerate heart is a changed life. A true Christian then is one who has been changed and is changing. Do you understand what he's saying? Guys, if, if I can't look at my life, if you can't look at your life and see that there's been a change in you, then you need to examine yourself to see if you are genuinely in the faith. That change not only comes and it's like a one and done. No, it's a process. We are in that sanctification process. We should be changed. We are being changed. It's active. It's continual. And so we need to understand this. And this is what Paul is reminding these people. He says, first off, 
You need to put to death some things. And we're going to explore this word. What does he mean by that, put to death? Put it to death. We're going to see this in verses 5 through 8. So if you're taking notes, that's going to be the first point today. It may be as far as we get. We'll see, see where we end up. So let's start with that. Put to death. Now, he's going to highlight a group of sins. By the way, if you look through the passage, you'll see there's going to be two groups of sins that he's going to break out for us to think about, for us to, to meditate on. The first one is going to be deviant sins. And this is found again in verses 5 through 7. And as you look at these sins that he's listed there, there's an emphasis, there's a common thread. They're all sexual in nature. Now again, remember what Colossae was like. It was highly sensual. It was sex-saturated. Sound familiar? I mean, guys, I don't know if you've ever uh, looked at some of the old pictures and old catalogs from way back in the early days of America of bathing suits. Man, you talk about modest. I mean, you could almost wear some of those outfits to church. Don't recommend it, but I'm just saying. I remember even in my childhood that J.C. Penney's, little plug, J.C. Penney magazines, we used to get the catalogs. Remember, used to, remember for those of us old enough to remember, man, you were, you were excited about getting catalogs at your house as kids, especially because you could go through and circle what you wanted for Christmas. Man, I feel sorry for all my little kids that have to do all this digitally. Because, man, there was something awesome. When that, when that book arrived in the mail, oh, man, that was excitement. I wanted to be the first. Me and my brother fight over Rip it in half, he gets half, I get the other. For some reason, I always ended up the half with the uh, clothing section. So, oh. I was like, Luke, I don't want clothes for Christmas. I always get clothes for Christmas. Grandma still gives clothes for Christmas. But anyway. But we'd circle those things we wanted. But I remember still in the catalogs, some of you know where I'm going. Ladies' garments, how were they to be displayed? Anybody remember? On dummies. I'm not talking about the models. I'm talking about like statues. Like they weren't allowed. People were not allowed to model the bras and the undergarments. They weren't. That was forbidden. That was like pornographic. And so even in my childhood, I remember that they were on, you know, little half torsos with no head. Seriously. I wonder how I look without a head. Oh, that's me right there. But there was a time when that's what, again, was... But man, today we're sin-saturated with, with just everywhere. I mean, you can't even go to the mall. It's like, we were in pennies, another plug, yesterday. And we went in that door, you know, at, the, at, the, at Goldsboro, where you go in the, the, down at the end, and, and walk in, and right there to the right is immediately girls' section. So I'm like, Luke, don't look. We're going. He's like, why do we have to come in this way? Next time, note to self, we'll come in the other side. <laughs> but it's sin-saturated. I mean, you can't drive down the road without seeing billboards, and it's all, I mean, commercials, forget about it. You could be watching a nice, wholesome program, but you can forget it, because in the commercials, they're going to get you. And it's just so sin-saturated. Paul's dealing with the same thing in his day, guys. It's a sin-sexual revolution. I mean, it's the, under, that, under that paganism, this was normal for their society. And so Paul is, is helping them, reminding them of by having Christ preeminent in your heart, preeminent in your life, that we're to be reminded of our identity and who we are in this world. And that we need to learn to lay aside those things that are tripping us. And sexual sins trip them then. And let's be honest, they trip us today. 
I didn't bring out any statistics, but I imagine if we were to do some new statistics of men in the church, how many men in here struggle with pornography? Don't raise your hand, please. But I'm just saying, guys, used to, even in my day, back in the day, you had to go out of your way to find pornography. It was usually in a dumpster because some wife found it and threw it out. But you know what? Now it comes into your house. It knocks on your door, your virtual door. It pops up on your feed. Even when you don't want it there, it's there. And so we've got to equip ourselves in this battle. We've got to put to death these deviant sins that are sexual in nature. And so Paul's going to go through a list of these things here. He starts off, and it's very important that we see this word at the start. Therefore, put to death. This word, uh, necru. Necru, it's to make dead. It means to put to death. It means to slay, to kill, to mortify. It's defined also in Strong's as worn out. Of an impotent old man. Interesting, this is the same word used when you know the story of Abraham. And he, he laughs at first, and I know Sarah laughs later. But when, they, when the angels, go, when the Lord and, and two angels come to him, and they say, hey, you're going you're gonna to have offspring. Dude's like 100 years old. He's not the man he used to be. We'll put it that way. Of an impotent old man. He, he's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a necru. How is this going to happen? Physically, he's speaking that, and I'm dead when it comes to that scene. But it also means to deprive of power, to destroy the strength of. So Paul's using this word, and he's saying, look, you want to know how to live out your faith in this world? Well, we're going to have to put to death some things. Now, you couldn't do that in your own strength. And don't think you will ever do this in your own strength. The only way you and I are going to put to death those sexual deviant sins in our heart and in our life is we're going to have to die to self and we're going to have to allow the, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us as believers to rule and reign in our heart. He's got to have preeminence. And so we're going to talk about that. That word necru is aorist tense, which means do it. Next time you're struggling, just think of Nike, I guess. Just do it. Do it effectively, producing a definite result. It's in the active voice, meaning you are to make a choice of your will to do it. It's also implying a single decisive act. You know what? I'm sick and tired of this. I'm drawing a line in the sand. God, by your grace, I am drawing a line in the sand by your strength. And I'm, 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 I'm putting it to rest. I'm killing it. I'm slaying it. No more. I'm sick of it. It's held me back too long. This sin is tripping me up in my life. And it's time to lay it down. It's time to kill it. And that's Paul's idea here. He's, he says that you're to make a choice of the will to do it, implying a single decisive act. And it's also, this word is in the imperative mood. Meaning, you're to do it without hesitation. Well, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. No. Do it now. Make a conscious decision that before a holy God, God, by your grace, by your strength, today I lay it down. Today I cast it off. I don't know what your struggle is, but I can promise you if it's sexual in nature, you will not win that battle apart from the power of Christ. You won't. 
we've been reading in our quiet times. And, and, and over the past couple of weeks, you guys know, Joseph found himself. He went from the pit because his brothers threw him in the pit and then sold him into slavery. He then ends up, because of Potiphar's wife, taking him by the garment and saying, lie with me. Dude's like, he knows the only way to flee youthful lust is to flee. He takes off running, leaves her holding his jacket. And she accuses him of trying to take advantage of her, and he gets put in prison. He's in prison for a couple of years. So he goes from the pit, he goes to prison, and then eventually he ends, ends up in the palace. And God strategically puts him there. What Satan intended for evil, God ended up using for good. God meant for good. And guys, again, the best answer the Bible gives us when it comes to youthful lust is run. Run. I don't care who you are. You will not stand against the pull and the grip of sexual sin. We need the power of Christ to do this. And that's what's so interesting about this. The verb necru is, is, is placed first in the Greek construction here in this, in this sentence. It's for emphasis. I mean, you can almost hear Paul saying the word, shouting it out, kill sin! Kill sin! Don't entertain it, kill it! Because our lives, if we're not careful, our houses begin to be infested. And so we need to nip it. Now, he begins this list of, of sins here in the text. And I want us to, to look closely at this. He says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And he starts off with sexual immorality. Yours may say fornication. That fancy word fornication, that's what it means. It means sexual immorality. It refers to any sexual activity outside of the marriage union. Premarital sex is a sin against a holy God. Extramarital sex is a sin against a holy God. Homosexuality or lesbianism, whether it's popular in society, is irrelevant. It is a sin against a holy God. And so the question we have to ask is, who are we going to listen to? Because this is the same battle that happened in the beginning of time, guys. Satan tempts Adam and Eve and says, Oh, did God really mean that? Did he really say blah, 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 blah? And the, the, the idea is to plant a seed of doubt in your mind, in your heart, that, you know, I don't think that's really what God meant. And liberal theology has done the best they can do to try and spin this. But hey, their father is the father of lies. So of course you would expect him to try and sell you a bill of goods that somehow homosexuality, lesbianism is okay. But guys, we pick on that one and we have so forgotten about premarital sex. It's a sexual sin. And sexual sins are just that. They're sexual sins. And so we need to make sure we're consistent. We can't be a church that embraces couples who are living in active sin into the fellowship of the saints and shun the homosexuals that come in. Or vice versa. Now, let me say, I've said it here many times, how are we to treat those that are in relationships where they're not married and they're living together? 
the same way we treat a homosexual couple that comes in here. We love them. Let me say that again in case some of you missed that. We love them. We love them with the truth of Christ. And there's even a level of welcoming without accepting. Does that make sense? You know you can, you can still love someone even when you disagree with their choices and lifestyle, right? You, you should all know that because you have family. <laughs> I mean, unless our family's the only one that has some messed up people in it. By the way, Paul reminds us, you too once were messed up people, right? It's a level playing field at the cross, guys. We've got to stop the judgmental mentality and ranking the scoring system. The bottom line is you can love someone without accepting their sin. But it's not accepting their sin. It, 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 we can't just turn a blind eye to it. You can't not say anything. That's no good. That does no one any good. You guys know I use this illustration oftentimes, and I hope and pray this guy never watches the sermons. Maybe this is why he's not my Facebook friend anymore. Anyway, but this guy in college, I mean, honestly, he sat beside me every day, and his breath stunk. It was killing me. I mean, do whoo, say it, but don't slay it, brother. I mean, I mean, it, whoa. <laughs> I thought I saw green smoke coming out. It was bad. I exaggerate here, of course. But it was bad. That part I'm not. And I thought, you know what? If I care for this guy, why do I just not say anything? That's not helping him. It's definitely not helping me. Nor the classroom. <laughs> and so finally one day I just said, hey man, I don't mean any disrespect, but have you ever been to the doctor and it maybe got checked for like halitosis? Or... <laughs> I know y'all think that's cruel, but that's love, brother. What y'all laughing about? But seriously, I said, you know, I mean, I figured after about 10 times of giving him gum, he would catch the hint. But we sheep are a little dumb and we're a little slow. All right? So look, let me just say this to you guys. If you ever need to talk to me about something in my life, you may have to tell me five times, but, you know, keep, keep pounding, all right? But I told him this, and you know what he said? He first did the check. Which I don't know why we do that. Because if your hand's stinky... Your breath's stinky. I just washed my hand with some smell good soap. I don't see what the problem is. Ooh, it's kind of rosy. Anyway. But this guy, you know what he says to me? He says, you're the first person that's ever told me that. Thank you. And dude started using some breath mints and carrying around some gum. And I don't know what else. I ain't his dentist. But it got better. <laughs> It got better. Now again, how many people were lying to him because they weren't ever telling him? And yet that's what we do. We think we're being a good neighbor. We think we're being loving because we don't... Well, that's none of my business. It's, that's his life. I don't want to interrupt. I don't want to interfere with them. I just need to love them like Jesus. Guys, Jesus loved enough to call people to repentance. So we can still love the individuals involved in the sexual sins, and we must, but we must do so in truth. And so Paul is reminding them of this. He also talks about impurity in this list. He says, uh, and, and by the way, if you, you, again, some of your translations I know may use a different word there. 
But the word being used is the word for impurity. And so he says that when it comes to this, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, impurity. Impurity refers to uncleanness in thought, word, or act. So it's all encompassing. Oh, we may look good on the outside, but man, if my thought life is a mess. Ooh. Now you may never see that, but God sees it. And so God is telling us here that it's uncleanness in your thought. It's uncleanness in your word. It's uncleanness in your act. And some have translated it dirty-mindedness. Boy, we live in a dirty-minded day, don't we? I mean, the funniest jokes are the dirty-minded jokes. It's the perversion. It's the pervertedness. Right? We entertain ourselves with dirty-mindedness. I'm going to say it again, and I don't get any kickback from VidAngel. I'm not against movies. I'm not against television programs. We love to watch movies. We have a movie night every Friday night. Some nights we have a movie night every night. But anyway, VidAngel filters dirty-mindedness. You can actually clean out the innuendos. They actually have a category that says sexual innuendos. Boom, removed, every one of them. Why would we not, as Christians, want to have that on our TV? I'm just saying. Impurity refers to uncleanness in thought, word, or act. And man, we live in a day where the jokes at the cooler are all about the... Guys, we don't need to entertain ourselves with those hollow, empty laughs. And I know it's awkward because when somebody tells you and the whole room's laughing at it, But we need to kill it. Lust is an uncontrollable desire to fulfill one's sex drive at any cost. That's the word that's used here. Paul, in his list of, of these deviant sins, he says that when it comes to putting to death these things, fornication, uncleanness, passion, it's the word lust. And man, we live in a lustful day. You know, we've done studies on this word here. You've got words used in the scriptures in the New Testament. Words such as, um, help me if I get this one wrong. Um, It's for our word erotica. Erago? Did I get that right? What is it? Eros, thank you. Yeah, what was that? Must have been watching one of those dragon movies. Anyway, eros, eros, the Greek word, thank you, for erotica. In the world, oftentimes when it thinks, oh, I love this person, they're really thinking erotica. They turn me on. There's a lustful pull. There's another word that's used for love in the the New Testament, it's phileo, and that's often used of a brotherly love and a familial love. And that's a good love when it comes to family. But then the most powerful love that's used is the word agape. And that's a love that we can only experience in knowing Christ. And that, that, that fills us to, to the point of even like in our marriage, that when it's a Christ-centered, when Christ has preeminence in your marriage, you can move from erotica, even phileo, which is a family, kind of brotherly sister, because I think that's important in a marriage too, that they're your best friend in a sense, to agape. Because Christ is at the center of your marriage. And if Christ is not at the center of your marriage, you will never fully experience genuine, authentic love. 
And I'm going to tell you, that is a powerful love. That is a glue and a bond. When Christ is at the center of your home, there's no love that compares. But we confuse lust oftentimes in our society today, just as in Paul's day. And so again, think about where they came from. Think about the society they came out of. And so Paul is trying to encourage them to build them up in the faith, in their walk. And so this passion, this evil passion was was driving them because again, a lot of times in their worship, their worship might have been with temple prostitutes. Well, hey, maybe again, this sensual love that drove us then, there used to be a lot of music and there used to be a lot of incense and there used to be a lot of this activity that would stimulate, ooh, I got my hair standing up on my head, the stimulation of sensuality. And we're seeing it again in our churches. A move to stir you, not necessarily spiritually, but sensually. It's actually an appeal to the senses. Now, in the right context, that can be okay, but I think we have teetered to an unhealthy practice in a lot of our Americanized churches in this area of worship. You know one of the first words used in the Old Testament in in worship? It's one of the Hebrew words, and hopefully I get this one right, halal. (laughs) And it was when, I don't know if it was the first time or the second time, when Abraham brought Sarah into Egypt. And you remember what he told her? He said, now look, if they know you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you because you're a beautiful woman. So let's tell them you're my sister. Shouldn't have done that. But that's what he said. And there's a passage where she's coming into town and the people observe her and they are just enamored with her beauty, with her glory. And it's the root word that we get our word worship from. They, in essence, were like, whoa, worshiping this woman. So much that they said, hey, Pharaoh, you've got to see this woman. Isn't that interesting? Again, sensually driven is akin to worship. And there's a fine line there. And so we need to be on guard for this. Evil desires is a passion for evil sex beyond natural. God's given limits of sex, all right, set down by God. And, and we need to, even in the compounds of marriage, we need to be, we need to be careful, guys. All right? I know uh, some want to quote, and I'm sorry children do this, uh, the, the, the marriage bed is undefiled. But guys, we need to be careful. What is influencing our thinking? Evil sex beyond natural. God gives a limit of sex set down by God. And again, I know we we live in a crazy day, and I hate to even have to say this, but this has to be said because it's implied even in this text that that's not just premarital sex or adulterous sex, homosexual or lesbian sex. It also delves into bestiality, which is an unnatural with nature and animals. So we'll leave that there. All things are full of iniquity and vice. More crimes are committed than can be remedied by force. A monstrous contest of wickedness is carried on. Daily, the lust of sin increases. 
casting away all that is good and honorable. Pleasure runs riot without restraint. Vice no longer hides itself. It stops forth before all eyes. So public has iniquity become. So mightily does it flame up in all hearts that innocence is no longer rare. It has ceased to exist. Seneca, and I'm not talking about from the Hunger Games. This was a Roman Stoic philosopher. Guys, he said this back before this is written. Back in Paul's day or or there shortly after. This philosopher said this back then. Whoa, what would he say today? We live in a sin-infested society. He continues on with these deviant sins listed here. And you'll notice as the text continues, he says, put to death fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness or greed. Greed is a desire to have more with total disregard of the rights of others. Man, we live in a greedy society, don't we? I mean, everything that comes at us through infomercials and television, oh, you got to have this, you need this. It, it, it appeals to this side of our sinful nature. Now look, I'm not against HGTV. We love watching it. A lot of you do too. But come on, if we ain't careful, we stay on that channel too long, we start coveting. Man, I'd love to have a house like that. Man, did you see what the... Well, I'd love to have something like... I mean, you know what I'm saying? If we're not careful, it cultivates, it fans the flame of covetousness. Now again, in the context, what are we talking about? We're talking about sexual sins. And so I, I, I'm, I'm taken back to the Old Testament and, and, the, and the commands. I think of the Ten Commandments and I think of not coveting thy neighbor's wife. And I think that's what's in mind here. Because it's in a list of sexual sins. And so... We need to guard our heart, people, about wanting and desiring something that's not ours. And this especially goes to you young people who are not yet married. Please hear me on this. Guard your heart because out of it flows the the wellspring of life. But you give away a piece of your heart, you cannot get it back. And too often times, especially in our day and age in which we live, and many of us experience it, you know what I'm talking about. You give away so much of your heart, man, that when you finally get to the one that God actually has for you, there's a lot of scars. And we bring that. Now again, God's able to heal, and He does, and God's able to mend, and He's able to restore, and He does. And that's why, again, the preeminence of Christ in your marriage, the preeminence of Christ in your relationship can restore and renew, and that's his desire. But we've got to start teaching our young folks the importance of guarding their heart because this world wants to rip it from them. And sexual sin is where the enemy is making a lot of progress in America. And so young people, trust your heart to Christ. Let him have preeminence. Let Him lead you to the person He desires for you. 
I promise you that'll save you a lot of heartache. It'll save you a lot of headache, a lot of scars, if you'll trust Him with that. And so I think the idea here, again, is in that area. Every godly man seeks happiness in God. The covetous man seeks that in his money, which God alone can give. Therefore, his covetousness is properly idolatry. Clark said that. Now, again, in his mind and in the context here, he, you know, I, I, he would, again, say that it's sexual nature, but he hits this highlight, and I want to hit this highlight, too, because when we think idolatry in America, money is a big god. Materialism is a big god in this country. And yet, the text here says that when it comes to these sexual sins, and, and I don't think it's necessarily li- uh, uh, categorizing all of them as this, though it could be, I think it's specifically hitting on that last one. But it says that um, put to death fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says covetousness is idolatry. MacArthur says when people engage in other greed or the sexual sins Paul has categorized, they follow their desires rather than God's, in essence, Worshipping themselves. Because who's on the throne when I'm greedy for what I want? I am. And that's idolatry. Because I'm putting myself in the position that God deserves. Do you understand that? That's why whether it's our finances, whether it's our family, whether it's our fellowship, whatever the case, Christ must have preeminence. So he says, put to death. The Christian's being called to make a decision of the will. Remember what Paul said in other letters? He says, look, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He works in salvation, right? It's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. He's worked that in. But he tells you, now work it out. In other words, live it out. I've given you everything you need to live a life of godliness. I've given you every tool, everything in the person of the Holy Spirit who will abide in you to the day of redemption to equip you to do the work of ministry. Now work it out. Live it out. And so you've got to make that decision based upon the finished work of Christ. You've got to make that line in the sand as a willful choice to yield to Christ. But you've got all of the Holy Spirit you're going to get. The question is, how much of you does he have? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Spirit. These are words used in the New Testament. So we can run interference, right? Now, God's sovereign plan is going to be executed whether you participate or not. I always liken it to this, that uh, I can be in the game plan or I can be on the bench. And that's the coach's decision, right? For all you guys playing basketball, you better hear that. You can be in the game or you can be on the bench. That's coach's decision, right? Nobody's going to argue about that, right? Because Coach Quinn, you let me know if they do. And if Coach Quinn argues, let me know. We'll put him on the bench. But anyway, <laughs> the, the Christian is called to make a decision of the will. That's man's responsibility. But it's dependent upon Christ's power, God's sovereignty. You see both of those in this text. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And so, 
Paul says, let's, let's put this to death, guys. That's what Christ did. Just like you've been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Remember, he's just done, go back and read the first two, three chapters. This is what he's been talking about. If you've then been raised with Christ, have you been raised? Have you died and been raised with Christ? Are you, is the old man gone to the grave and you're a new person? Well, then let's seek things above. That's what he's saying. It's, it's akin to Romans, and, and, and you guys know this well, Romans 6, 7, and 8. It's a good, good parallel to this. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice this doesn't say self-help, better improvement, do it yourself. That's not what that says. Paul in that passage says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Again, guys, I'm not going to do this in my strength. I've got to be wholly and solely dependent on the Spirit of God. Trust Him, yield to Him, surrender to Him. The struggle, the battle, whatever you're facing. Lay it down at the cross. Cast off that garment. Lay aside that sin that so easily besets you. And put on His power, His strength. God, by your strength I can do this. But I want to quit. No, by the strength of God that dwells within you. You can do this. You can do it. Right? Anyway. God wants us to surrender to Him as an act of faith. That's what Romans 8, 13 is talking about. We do this. God works on our behalf. Bruce Hurt said that. Let me say that quote again. God wants us to surrender to Him as an act of faith. That's what we have to do. And when we do this, God works on our behalf. Man, isn't that good? That's awesome. Thank you, Lord. Again, Ephesians is written at the same time. Paul writes Colossians. And so if you read Ephesians, you'll see a lot of parallels in the text. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. And what is exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Earlier in 3.1 He told us we're, we're to seek. That's a present imperative. It's a command to do this as our lifestyle. Seek is present right now imperative. You better do it. It's what God's saying. It's a command to do this as our lifestyle. Those things which are above, we're to seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Let me get to a closing point. We must lay hold of our position. Our practice is to match our position. Do you know he's just told us that we're positioned with Christ in the heavenlies? Does your lifestyle match that? Does my lifestyle match my position? We must lay hold of our position by faith. And that should influence our practice. And again, it's practice, guys, so don't judge one another. Remember, he started off, don't let anyone judge you. John Owen asked, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. 
be killing sin or it will be killing you. I get a t-shirt like that, man. Thug reform. I'm sorry. You know. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Every unmortified sin will do two things. This is John Owen Goins who says this. It will weaken the soul and deprive it of its vigor. That's what unmortified... If you don't kill sin, guys, in your life, here's what it's going to do if you don't kill it. It's going to weaken your soul and it's going to deprive you of all the spiritual vigor. And it will darken the soul and deprive it of its comfort and peace. Guys, if, if you're struggling... It's possible that sin has been at your door ready to pounce like a lion and maybe it's attacking you right now. We must kill the sin in our life. Ebenezer Erskine said, the Christian mortifies sin because he's at peace with God. The legalist mortifies sin to try to be at peace with God. You see the difference, don't you? The Christian mortifies sin because he is at peace with God. The legalist mortifies sin to try to be at peace with God. That's part one. Next week, we're going to look at, Lord willing, part two of the second list of sins. And Paul says to put off these sins. The sins of anger. we got some angry people. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about rage. We're going to talk about malice. We're going to talk about slander. We're going to talk about filthy language. And if these are sins that are besetting you, I would encourage you to be here because these aren't deviant sins. These are divisive sins. And we need to guard, church, our unity from the divisive sins that creep in just as they were in, Colossians, in the Colossians' time. Let's, let's pray. Father... Thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning and the people that are here. Lord, I pray that we will go from here today understanding the importance of killing sin in our life. We live in a sin-infested world. And Lord, a lot of times, if we're just honest, it, 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 it's the battle that we face. Yeah, you saved us. You sealed us till the day of redemption. We're forgiven. When you see us, you do not see the sins that are tripping us up. But yet, Lord, as Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So, Lord, help us in this battle. You've given us the equipment. You've given us the full armor of God so we can fight this fight. And we don't fight it alone because you've already fought it and you've already won. We just need to live in the light of that victory. And so, Lord, as we pray this morning, I pray you'll search hearts. And whatever sins are tripping us up around the room, Lord, let us confess those sins. Let us make that decisive once and for all, Lord. By your grace, I'm laying it down. I'm casting off that old man. I'm giving it to you. And God, you said you would give me the, the new man. You said that, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask that you would give it the Spirit liberally. I don't know how to do this. I can't do this apart from you. I can do nothing apart from your power. So God, help me and let me yield moment by moment, minute by minute. When those moments pop up, help me to find the way to escape that I might be able to bear it. And so Lord, help the heart of the hurting ones that are here today. Those that are watching online. Lord, 
Lord, may we have that personal time with you to confess that sin, to repent of that sin, to place our faith and our trust in the completed and finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there be someone here today that has never repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ, let today be their day of salvation. Lord, I pray that in this closing moment, in their heart, right where they're at, they would come to you at the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. I know I've sinned against you by faith. calling someone let them hear that call and let them heed it in this moment and we'll be eternally grateful for what you're doing for what you've done and for what you're going to do we ask it in Jesus name and all of God's people said Amen